Aloha, and welcome to the HBCU Experience. I am your host, Gwendolyn Harris. As Black History Month is coming to a close, I thought we would talk, talk today about something that is near and dear to me, and that is HBCUs, Historical Black Colleges and Universities. HBCUs were founded originally to teach Black students who were prevented from attending established colleges and universities due to racial discrimination. The very first HBCU was Cheney University, founded in Pennsylvania on February 25th, 1837. Today, there are 107 private and public HBCUs. Thanks to our Vice President, Kamala Harris, who attended Howard University, HBCUs are coming to the forefront. Today, we will talk with major retired Antoine Knight, who is a graduate of Florida A&M University and discuss his attendance at an HBCU and how it shaped him for his military career as a black officer. Aloha, and how are you doing today? I am doing just fine, doing just fine. Thank you for asking. Awesome, awesome. So first thing we wanna get right into it. We want to know what made you, or what made you decide to attend an HBCU? Well, you know, growing up in high school, you know, uh, my school was predominantly white. And, um, you know, for two years, I went to a vocational college. And I had a roommate when I was in Florida, and he said, hey, man, uh, we got our associates. They accept our credits to go to uh, Florida A&M. And I was dating a girl that was going to Florida State at the time. So Florida State was next door. So I said, hey, man, uh, let's let's do it. Let's do it. So I signed up and uh, lo and behold, he backed out like the first semester and joined the Air Force. And, uh, you know, the girl I was dating, she dropped out after a year. So they got me to Tallahassee, but I'm the one that ended up graduating. So go figure. So that's how I ended up, you know, being at Florida A&M. Nice. And I understand what you're talking about going to predominantly white schools and then all of a sudden you go yeah. to an HBCU because that, that's right. exactly um, what happened, what happened to me because I went to Hampton University. OK. <laughs> so H-I-U. Okay, H-I-U. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what what do you think makes an HBCU experience better than a, a PWI, a predominantly white experience? Well, what makes it better is that you are around people of your likeness. And, you know, being around people of your of your likeness, people don't realize that can really help you as far as you preparing for the real world. Um, and that's what I experienced. It was a great, you know, uh, a joy for me to just go around every, everywhere and everybody was my, of my likeness, you know, pursuing a higher education. And uh, that's one of the things that I, I really, you know, really enjoyed about going to an HBCU. And you, you went into my, my, my kind of my next question, like, what did you expect by attending an HBCU? Because it's a whole nother level. <laughs> well, you know, the thing, well, the thing of it is, the thing of it is when people don't realize, you know, uh, students who go to HBCUs, they had a 
80 percent higher graduation rate mm-hmm. instead of going to, you know, a predominantly white, you know, university. I know back when I was in college, that was uh, statistics, you know, because of the environment. Uh, it just seems like the university was there for you, you know, per se. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just don't see that favoritism for blacks who were going to Florida State, University of Florida, because you got 30 some thousand students and you may have maybe about 5% black. You know, that's a huge, huge ratio. Right. You know, right. you know, and yeah, so that's how I looked at it. You know, I don't know what the, the, the graduation percentage is now, but students tend to do better at HBCUs, you know, who are, you know, who are black. And that's true. That That's what I, that's what I found out as, as well, too, um, by going to Hampton University. Um, now, do you think that our administration supports HBCUs 100%? Administrations. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, like our administration, like um, our government, you know, like, of course, you know, like I like I said earlier, you know, Kamala Harris, she went to Howard University. So with that being said, because now that she is in office, I think that HBCUs have come back, have come out in the forefront more so than before in past administrations. Well, you know, I think we still have a long way to go, but, you know, um, HBCUs are making great strides, but, you know, the power to bees, you know, they are still there to make sure that prominent white universities and institutions, you know, get the best of the benefits as far as, you know, uh, federal funds and, you know, state funds, you know, uh, academic recruitments, all of this stuff, you know. HBCUs will always still be behind, even though that we're making great strides. You know, you got to understand that this is America and there is a substantial divide when it comes to, uh, you know, disparities as far as what whites have and for blacks. You know, I was looking at a statistic. It's like 69 to 1 you know, of the racial disparities. So, you know, uh, I still feel that we have a long way to go, but I think that with Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris in office and, you know, what uh, Deion Sanders is doing as far as athletics, it's putting HBC, it put HBCUs back on the map to where people are noticing that, look, you got some cream of the crop students and athletes and what have you at these schools. And, you know, you got to be open-minded to, you know, to look at those because Congress, you know, you got a lot of congressmen that are from HBCUs who are Mm -hmm. in leadership positions in this country. They are from HBCUs. Now we're going to get into the leadership portion because you are a retired leader retired from the army as a major yes ma'am okay and so, yes, you, ma'am. so you did rotc at famu correct mm-hmm. 
Yes. So do you think that attending an HBCU and doing ROTC made you a better black officer in the United States Army? I will say yes, and I will say no, because, you know, uh, FAMU has their own ROTC program. And, you know, I had white instructors, you know, I had black instructors, you know, I even had, you know, white cadets that was commissioned with me. Uh, the only color that we identified was green. Now, what really uh, prepared me as far as a black officer was that I saw the officers that were for me, you know, before me that were doing well in the military, you know, like colonels. And we had a couple of generals, even from Florida A&M, that came to, you know, to speak to us about, you know, the preparations of the Army. And, you know, you can't get around the fact that you're Black. They're going to see that. But as mm -hmm. far as preparing you, I think the HBCUs prepared me to be the best military officer that I can be. And the fact that I am Black, they had it in a way to where they had it in a way to where that, hey, look, if you're going to succeed, you got to see beyond excellence because mm -hmm. you are already fighting behind the Powerball, you know, being a black officer. If you have a two rating, that's okay, probably for your white counterparts, but you need to be in the number one block. You know what I'm talking about. It's called the evaluation systems, the OERs. Exactly. You know, and, and the NCORs. That is what you are. You know that language of what I'm talking about in the military. Yeah. The ideal, the ideal was to get yourself in the number one block. And that's what they really prepared me for, is that you're not going to be relevant and make your quotas and make your ranks if you don't sustain that number one block. Because you want on that report when, and you know what I'm talking about as an NGO, mm -hmm. soldier exceeded expectations. You don't mm -hmm. want it to be where soldier met expectations. Mm -hmm. It's a big difference between the two. And that's what FAMU uh, prepared me for as, you know, a military officer. So for, for my viewers, just in case you don't know, we're talking that military lingo that, that, that we're yeah, talking. We're talking military we're lingo. Talking you probably don't know, know what, they so, probably don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I'm going to explain to them really quickly for those of you that are not or have not been in the military. So, you know, I'm retired NCO. He's a retired officer. Officers have in the military, in the Army, in the Army, I know, it's called an OER. And that's the Officer right. Evaluation Rating. Report. Right? Yeah. Report. Uh -huh. Evaluation mm -hmm. report. And then the NCOER is the non commission officer evaluation report. So when he's correct. So when he's um when we're talking about this, this is the ratings that we are that we are being given in the military. So when he's talking about that one block, that two block and, and all those different blocks, that's what we're talking about. Um for the for the NCO for the NCOER and the OER. Correct. So now my question to you before we get back into a little bit more some of these questions is what did you do in the army? What were some of your jobs in the military? <clears throat> okay. Well when I uh I got an early commission uh because I was a I was a reservist. 
<laughs> when I was a cadet at Florida A&M. So I was a reservist where I got an early commission. And on the early commissions, I got assigned as a uh, reserve officer at the time. And when I graduated, I, uh, I became a system automations officer, which is basically signal. So mm -hmm. as a 25 alpha uh, in the signal corps, I did my training at Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. You very familiar with Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. And then when I, uh went to my that was for my army uh basic uh not basic how do you say it as far as okay i know for you guys is ait okay mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. your uh you know advanced individual training well mm -hmm. i did my uh my my advanced training as a lieutenant uh as a signal officer and then when I was barking up to uh, first lieutenant and captain, um, I became uh, I went into the infantry because at that time in the reserves during there's a storm, they were top heavy on combat, su combat support and combat service support. But there was a lot of slots as far as combat arms. So I went into the infantry to make rank. And uh, I, be, I did my training at Fort Benning, which is another spot you are probably very familiar with mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in Georgia. Uh, yeah, I did my uh, advanced training there uh, as an officer. And then I, I sent it up to major in force comm in, in Atlanta, where I became a field grade officer in, okay. uh, in an XO, battalion XO. Okay. All right. Have you been back to your have you been back to your university to FAMU? Yes, I have. And the plaque with my name is still on their wall. And you know, when I show cadets who I am and all that, it's like, wow, you was the one that was before us. And it's so funny when I go into uh the ROTC building at FAM, which is Howard Hall, it mm -hmm. looks exactly like it did, you know back when I was a cadet, you know, in the eighties, it looked exactly like it is nothing has really changed. Even the paint is still there. It's kind of, kind of, it's, it's a great feeling, but it was kind of eerie as well. Cause it just reminded me of how old I am. <laughs> you, you can't be, you can't be that old, sir. Oh <laughs> God. Yes. I appreciate it, my dear. Appreciate it, my dear. <laughs> so, um, how does a H, how does a HBCU have a diverse and inclusive perspective? What do you think about that? You know, I couldn't wait for you to answer this question. I'm about to go in on this. Okay, okay. let's all go right. in. Let's first go all, in. Let's go in. First of all, first of all, at Florida a &M, you know, I had white instructors. I've had instructors from uh, Ethiopia. I had instructors from you know from Arabic you know Arabic nations. Uh, all of ethnicities, I've had instructors of, of that. Now, what I really want to go home on this is this, with Black Americans, you know, uh, I feel that they really want to emphasize, you know, emphasize diverse, you know, diversity in universities. Mm -hmm. But in white institutions, they're not thinking about diversities. You know, they they send their kids four, five, six generations deep to these white universities because they support them. 
they can care less about diversity. They're going to support their predominantly white uh, colleges. But I don't think blacks have that mindset. They want to be diversified. They should just support the HBCUs because it's an HBCU. But a lot of times families feel that they will get they would probably little be a little more prepared or get a better education going to a white school because of the fundings. They have better better facilities and they feel that they have better instructors and all of this, which I just, you know, I I don't I don't agree with that ideology. I really don't. I really don't agree with that ideology. But, you know, when it comes to versatility, blacks really have to support their own. You know, I if you know, if my kids, my, my, my son, he started out at Savannah State because he wanted that black college experience. You know, things didn't work out for him. He transferred to another you know, university, but he got that under his belt to where he wanted to try the HBCU experience. And I'm going to be really long on this because I just really feel that as black Americans, you know, I really feel that uh, when it comes to sending your kids to universities, you should have the same mindset as white Americans do when they send their kids to Stanford, USC, US, you know, uh, UCLA, especially down here in the South, Georgia, University of Alabama, Virginia, all those, they're going to send their kids to those universities because they are white institutions. We should have that mindset when it comes to black institutions, because it was not that long ago where blacks was not even allowed at those white institutions. But the black institutions always had their own had, you know, greeted you with open arms to get a higher level level of education. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. And I just really feel that blacks really be black institutions sometimes really become get a black eye because of administrations, because of housings, because of financial aid. Mm -hmm. They even get in a black eye as far as, well, I don't want to send my my kid to a black school because all they do in black universities is party which is I would I'm going to debunk that theory. OK, because if you go on eight, if you go to Google and you Google the top 10 uh, colleges in the country, you would not see a black college on the list. Mm -hmm. But they always put that as a stigma towards black universities. Well, I don't want to send my kid there because all they do there is partying and all of this, which is which is not a lie. I'm, I'm a guy that bears with facts mm -hmm. and whites, blacks would rather send their kids to from where I am, a Florida state or university of Florida because it's predominantly white. But even though those, those are the schools that was on the list as the most partying schools. So when you have that, you have a lot of power, you know, white universities have a lot of power. They don't get a black guy from blacks when it comes to higher education. It seemed like it's under the rug, but I just want to really debunk that and say that is not true. That is not true. The problems, you know, some of the problems that black universities may have, white universities have them too, but it's just that they got the monies and they can sweep a lot of that under the rug. So now that you said that, opinion. 
now that you said that, let me ask you this question. What do you think can be done to bring more awareness and funding to our HBCUs? Because as you know, a few of our HBCUs have, have already closed due to lack of funding. So what do you think can be done? Sure. Well, what I think can be done is uh, me as, and I'm, and I'm talking to myself, we need to mm -hmm. be more involved. We need to be, we need to give back to our universities. We need to uh, donate at least a few hundred dollars, you know, for, you know, for fundings back to the universities. We need to make our presence, you know, more relevant as far as supporting, you know, and because white institutions, they're going to support their own. But blacks, universities, and excuse me for saying that because I, I don't know, it's, it's just me. I have a pet peeve of African-American. I don't like that name. But uh, I just feel that we as blacks, we need to really be more involved mm -hmm. to give back to our universities. And I'm talking, to, I'm talking about myself, too, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, alumni chapters, you know, in various cities, they need to be more active, you know, as far as raising monies and raising awareness as far as fundings and things that kids would need because they are our future. They are our future. And I, and I you know, when I see, you know, I have FAMU uh, on my Instagram. And when I see the students, you know, I'm just so proud of them, mm -hmm. you know, because you know, that's the future, the way I came from. And it's a great feeling. So I just think that Blacks really need to just get more involved and put their money where their mouth is and just give support back to the universities. And I'm, and I'm one of those that need to do that as well. And I'm right there with you. I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly um, with you yeah. on that. Um, now, I want you to give me Let's say maybe I want you to give me maybe three, three or four advantages um, for someone to attend an HBCU. Okay. Number one, brotherhood, sisterhood. Okay. Number two, mentorships. You have women and men that are positive role models they will take your child as one of their own and and watch and mentor them you know and then you you have that sense of community because mm -hmm. even community like oh wow you hbcu we're gonna take care of you if i go get a haircut or if i go to a store or something of that nature you get that sense of community you know when you go to an hbcu I don't think you will get that as much going to a predominantly white school. That's my opinion. Because Florida State was across the railroad track, is across the railroad track from Florida AM and m in Tallahassee. I know that for a fact. You don't, you you're saw, not. You saw the differences. You saw the major differences in that. Oh, absolutely. 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 Well, I'm going to switch gears here just a little bit. Uh -oh. I know we're going to, because I know we're going to be running out of time here shortly. 
Um, yeah, I'm be celebrating my 60th birthday in a few hours. You uh oh, uh oh. Well, well, pre happy birthday. Um, yeah, bring it in. Antron. But mm -hmm. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Okay. Because what a lot of people don't know for my my viewers is that uh, Mr. Antoine Knight is also a musician. Now, did you at all play in the band at FAMU or anything while you were in college? No, I was focused on uh, my academics and I was focusing on being a commission officer. Um, and I'm glad you asked that too, because I, at the time I really didn't see for myself being a, having a future as being a, a saxophonist because at that time, mainstream music, you know, you don't hear horns in them anymore. Mm -hmm. So I just, I didn't play in the band. And it's one of the biggest regrets me going to the university now, knowing that what I have accomplished, it is one of the biggest regrets that I have. So no, I didn't play in the band. So you started. I know that sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you started playing music after you once once you retired out of the military. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it up to, into a you know brief synopsis, you know brief brief uh, storyline. This is what I did. I came out of AM. Uh, I worked for a minute. I moved to Atlanta. In Atlanta, I was on active duty. I had a best friend of mine by the name of, of Scott. I said, Scott, where can I go to listen to some nice jazz? He told me there was a spot downtown. And I saw this cat playing the sax. And I fell in love with it. And it's like, that's what I want to do. You know? And 10 years later, I, I worked my craft and... I became a professional, full-time professional uh, saxophonist in 2002. Wow. And so for my viewers, we're going to have him on my other show, on my music show. And we'll go more, uh -oh. into, <laughs> we will go more into detail on his, on, on his music. But I just wanted people to know that, that not only you're a retired Army officer, but you are also a professional musician as well or recording artist i should say as well yes i am and we will we will talk we will talk about that in my next show but absolutely one of the things that i that i want to uh ask you is um i want you because we're running our time is is running out shortly but i want you to give your best pitch to a potential student who comes to you and is thinking about attending an HBCU? My best pitch would be simply this. When you go to a base, when you go to an HBCU, you're gonna be entwined with family. It is nothing like having classmates that you will meet that will be there for you. It is nothing like having teachers. It is nothing like having administrators that is going to look out for your best interest because they want you to succeed in a diversified world out here. And, and not only that, you know, I am seeing now more white students that are attending HBCUs, especially in Florida. And I, I like that, not far as a diverse aspects, but 
they see FAMU and other HBCUs as a great school, they're not looking at color. They're only looking at education that is best for what they're trying to do, you know, uh, as far as their life is concerned. So those are the pitches that I will that I will that I can give to a student. And plus two, you are sustaining a legacy. Mm. You're sustaining a legacy, you know, that uh blacks did not have the the privileges of having, you know, uh back doing slaveries and back doing Jim Crow. They didn't have those privileges. So now we have these rights. Why not be that person to support those legacies? But blacks don't see that. And uh, we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from what it was, what our ancestors did from slavery and from Jim Crow. We've gotten away from that. Even my mom made a comment that the reason blacks always dressed up to go to church on Sundays, because back during slavery, that was the only time to, 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 to dress up. We don't even see that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just things of sustaining legacies of what blacks have went to. And that's really something that you can perpetuate as far as you and your children and your children's children. So those are the things that I would really pitch to a, a young student that's trying to uh, attend an HBCU. And I had the pleasures of talking to one today. Uh-huh. I'm with uh, I'm with my girlfriend down here in the Virgin Islands and we went to some of her family mm-hmm. and uh the the young lady is an honor student. She is going to graduate from high school two years ahead of her class. Wow. And and I and she's from the Virgin Islands and she's got her radar on Spelman University. Okay. And right. it's like, you know, it's what a coincidence. I'm going into this HBCU in a you know interview, but I have already encountered that to where I'm already pitching or practicing what I'm preaching to get students to go to HBCUs. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, I do the same thing. I'm always talking about HBCUs, how I love my Hampton University and all HBCUs, you know. So especially when I when when I talked with you and even, you know, Uh a lot of our musicians, a lot of our actors, actresses, you know, they've attended HBCUs. Yeah, like Willie Bradley, uh, Lynn Roundtree. Yes, Uh, Lynn is from your alma mater. Lynn is from our alma mater. And I think Willie is is from South Carolina. South Carolina State. South Carolina Carolina State. State. He is now now an instructor at South Carolina State. Yes, he is. And you know Lori Williams, she went to my alma mater, Hampton University. Um, I can't forget my my sweetie from from, from Atlanta. So, I mean, just so many prominent you know, people have gone to HBCU. So, you know, mm-hmm. for, for people that think, like you said, you know, they don't want their child to go there or, you know, at least let them experience it. Let them experience it and decide right. what they want to do. Correct. That's just my, that's my personal opinion on it. Let them experience Correct. it. Correct. So I thank you so much for being here. Because Thank I don't you. want to hold you, because I know Thank you're you. ready to party in the Virgin Islands. You're turning, you're turning. Yeah. Uh, can you say that? Can you let me say the number? <laughs> Go party? ahead. It's it's a major milestone. Go ahead. Sixty. 
60. You're going to be 60 and don't even look at six zero. I've been told that. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. And, and I love the fact that you talked to that young lady today um, yeah. about attending an HBCU. So just keep it going. Keep it going. Just keep it going. Yes, ma'am. Yes, and- ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and to my viewers, be looking out. I will have um, I will I will have this young man on my next show, um, the Smooth Jazz Connection, where we're going to talk more into his musical side. But I hope everybody has enjoyed the show. I hope that you learned a little bit about HBCUs. There's more to come in my coming episodes. Trust me on that. Until then, everybody, aloha and God bless. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, Please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.